Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is the oldest of four girls, a natural caretaker. She now has three kids of her own, and they entered the world with three distinctly different birth experiences. A former Hollywood publicist, she's here to tell us about her experience with both vaginal and cesarean birth, and to explore lessons learned from each experience in hindsight. Amanda Nesbitt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. What an intro. Oh, well, I mean, what a journey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, there's a lot to cover here. Three pregnancies and births, and we're going to manage to do it in 40 minutes. Let's jump right in. You got married, and how soon after that did you have your first? So let's see. We got married in 2012, and I got pregnant 2013 and gave birth to my first 2014. So pretty soon after. I don't even want to know what happened in 2015. Okay. So were you planning to have kids right away? Was that a conscious choice? Well, it's interesting because my husband actually lost his mother at a really young age and I lost my father six months before we got married. And oh, wow. I obviously came from a large family and he losing his mom at such a young age, it was just him, his dad and his brother both of us wanted a big family with lots of kids, but I think me losing my father so close to the wedding, I was ready to, I was like, let's have babies right now. And he's like, calm down. We are going through a lot. <laughs> so I think it was always something we wanted, but the loss of our parents really kind of accelerated that process. Okay. So you won the argument. I did. I did. <laughs> did it take long to get pregnant? No, we were really fortunate. We got pregnant really easy. I think it was just on the second month. Second month of trying? Well, yeah. and is there any awesome reveal when you found out you were pregnant? How you told your hubby? No, he's so intuitive, but I didn't even miss a period. And he was like, you should take a pregnancy test this morning. And I was like, there's no way. This is crazy. And I did, and I was pregnant, and he's like, I knew it. And I was like, you did? Whoa. And then I was just in shock, and then I like went to work, and it's such a weird like secret because you're so excited, and I was like bubbling out of my skin. I was like, act normal, act normal. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, he just knew it. It was really funny. Okay, that voice is in my head every day for some reason. Act normal, act normal. <laughs> Sometimes I listen. <laughs> How was that first pregnancy? You know, I think it was pretty normal, pretty textbook. In the beginning, I was super tired. I had some nausea, but I never actually threw up. But nothing really severe. You know, second trimester, I had tons of energy. And then third trimester, I was just big and uncomfortable. Did you have uh, friends or close family members who were pregnant, already had babies to kind of guide you through? You know, none of our super close friends got pregnant. We weren't the first, but we started a little earlier than some of our other friends. But I had two other friends and colleagues at work. And gosh, I forget the order. I think one of them was like a month before me. And one of them was like a couple months after me. So I had some work colleagues that we were, you know, comparing notes. Uh, what were your sources of information for decisions you would have to make during pregnancy, childbirth, and beyond? So it's interesting because my parents are both physicians. So I have a lot of trust in doctors and I grew up in hospitals. So that wasn't like a scary thing for me. Doctors and doctor's offices is like, you know, it reminds me of my childhood. So I really was like relying on my mom and her experience because she's had four kids and my doctor and I think I was like subscribing to, you know, those newsletters that say that your baby's like the size of a watermelon or a squash or all those things. <laughs> um, Hopefully that was towards the end, that watermelon. Yeah. The watermelon's towards the end. In the beginning, it's like a, I don't know, like a, a blueberry Yeah, or lima bean. And I would send it to all my sisters. She's a lima bean. But, you know, I have to say, I know so much more now, you know, obviously gone through it a few times and just talking to friends and other moms. I think that's the best place to get any information. And I just didn't talk about it as much as I think I, you know, maybe should have, but I know so much more now. It's crazy. <laughs> At the time, did you give thought to your birth? Was there a plan for your birth with the first baby? So, like I said, like the hospital never scared me. So I was like, I never even considered a home birth. I was going to go to the hospital. My mom, she didn't have an epidural with any of us except for one and didn't like the experience. But I think it was kind of a different time and I don't know if they gave her a different type of epidural if it was too strong, but she just felt like totally numb and disconnected from her body. So I was, you know, going to labor, labor at home, go to the hospital and, you know, just have a normal kind of hospital experience, I guess. Who would be with you? So I, my mom was like a huge support system. So everyone in LA, especially in Hollywood, they're like, oh, you're going to get a doula or midwife. And I was like, no, my mom's great. She's, you know, a physician and she's like such a hippie and she has my back and my husband is amazing. And so that was going to be like my crew. Mom and hubby and eventually baby and yeah. then doctor and, and a whole bunch of hospital people. Yes. Okay. So how did birth actually go? So... I remember it so vividly. I'm sure everyone does, but I was due on Monday, August 25th. And it was the first time in like the history of, I don't know how ever many years, but that the Emmy awards were being held on a Monday rather than a Sunday, which is my due date. Oh, wow. So I agreed not to work the Emmys because it's always in, it's usually mid September, but late August in LA, it's like a hundred degrees, a big red carpet. And I was like, I will break my water on, you know, <laughs> 
in A-lister's shoes. I won't name any names, but right. you'll draw attention to them, which isn't that your thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I agreed not to work the Emmy Awards, but I was going to work all weekend and I had people flying in from New York and London and I was going to do a photo shoot and all this stuff that weekend. I went to my doctor's appointment, you know, the week before and she was checking me weekly at that point. And she said, I don't remember the details, but basically like I was not dilated. My cervix was hard. Like I was not going to go into labor anytime soon. So I was like, cool, I can work. So then on Friday morning, I woke up and I just had like some cramps, like light cramping, but totally manageable. And I was hearing a lot about Braxton Hicks and, you know, it's not really labor. And so I was like, these are the Braxton Hicks. So I just stayed home from work, but I worked all day on my computer and, you know, Again, people were flying in and I was dealing with all this stuff. And that evening around maybe like five or six o'clock, I had a bad one. And so I called my husband. I was like, you should probably come home. Like it got kind of bad. And he's like, okay. So he comes home. What does bad mean? Like the other ones were just normal period cramps. I would kind of stop and take a breath, but then keep going. The bad one kind of like I don't remember if it lasted longer. It was definitely more severe, but I was kind of like breathing more into it. And I was like, oh, that was weird. You know, it just was different than the rest. I gotcha. So he came home and it started escalating. But in my head, I was like, my doctor said, I'm not going to go into labor. So like, these are the Braxton Hicks. And he's like timing me and he's watching me pace and watching me breathe. And he's like secretly timing me and he also like made pasta and his brother came over and I think they were all just like laughing at me knowing that I was in labor, but I was like, no, 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 this isn't happening right now. So finally we go to the hospital and it's funny because his brother came with us. So there was like two guys, one pregnant woman in like four bags, <laughs> you know, this time mom, I brought everything. And they're like, how many people are in labor? And I'm like, just one. And they're like, who's the dad? And it was kind of a funny moment. Uh, why did he come with you? Just out of curiosity. They're super close. And he was like, bring the camera. We're having the baby. I think he thought, you know, it was like the movie. We we're going to have it like in an hour. Uh, all right. Well, uh, apparently you didn't. But let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll find out the rest of that story. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Amanda Nesbitt, and we're discussing birth number one. Unbelievably in labor, even though doctors said that wasn't going to happen, heads to the hospital with her husband and his brother and a whole bunch of suitcases. What happens next? So they brought me in to check me. You know how they check you before they admit you. And they checked my cervix. And by this time, I was like, in a lot of pain. And I don't know if I was in a lot of pain for a first time mom, or if I was like, just really in a lot of pain, but I was having back pain. I was kind of like blacking out from the pain. I vomited. She checked me and she's like, you're at half a centimeter. Like you should go home, have a bath. And my husband looked at me and was like, we're not going anywhere. So they let me stay. And they said, if her water breaks, we can admit her. So my mom was like, we're taking her on a walk and was like walking me around the whole maternity ward. And finally my water did break and they admitted me. Mission accomplished. Yes. (laughs) When your water broke, do you remember, did that make things feel either any better or any worse? I don't know. It definitely didn't make it feel better. I don't remember if it made it feel worse, but I was in a lot of pain. Like I was really struggling and I wasn't really planning on asking for an epidural, but I did at that point. Okay. And then did that alleviate the intolerable pain? Yeah. Because I was only half a centimeter dilated. I was like, I don't think I can sustain this for nine and a half more centimeters, however long that's going to take. So I'm glad that I did it, but it was crazy because as soon as I did the epidural, all these people rushed in and they gave me a shot to stop my labor because the baby's heart rate had dropped like significantly. And so then I got really emotional, like thinking I did the wrong thing and that I messed something up. But then my mom and my husband kind of like reassured me that it was okay and, you know, just get some rest. And then I was able to sleep, you know, like excited sleep, you know, through the night. Oh, so you got some rest. Yes. All right. Overnight while you're sleeping, but on an epidural, do your contractions come back? Yeah. So my contractions came back and I like labored through the night, but I was much more comfortable. And then my husband was able to get some rest too, which was good. What about your uh, (laughs) brother-in-law? I think he went home. Oh, he went home. Okay. (laughs) He wasn't in the room with me once I got in bed. (laughs) You did get some very priced photos, though, of me and labor, like in the little room, like in a lot of pain. And then the triage to delete later. <laughs> ah. So, yeah, we I labored through the night and then all through the next day I was laboring, 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 and I just wasn't dilating. And they kept checking me, kept checking me. So kind of just to back it up a little bit, I think I caught to the hospital, maybe at like 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. And like, as we were approaching the evening, like the 24 hour mark, since my water broke, I was really only at like a five or a six. Oh, this sounds like you're not going to make the Emmys. I wasn't going to make the Emmys, but it was funny because I was texting everyone that I work with. like, did the car come? Did the dress come? They're like, go have a baby. <laughs> <I'm> like, okay. <laughs> All right. So five centimeters. I mean, the 24 hour mark from the time you got to the hospital or from the time the water broke? The water broke. Yeah. I was like kind of approaching that 24 hour time limit and I just wasn't dilating. And I started to get really uncomfortable too, because her heart rate was kind of dropping throughout the day. So I was 
stuck on one side. And if I moved to the other side or moved to my back or moved at all, her heart rate would drop. So I had to stay on my left side, I believe it was. So because of the epidural was like, gravity, you know, so my whole left side was super numb. My right side started feeling stuff and I was tired and I was uncomfortable for sure. So what happens next? So my doctor came in and started talking to me about the C-section and I got really upset and I started to cry. And she was like, let's give it one more hour and I have to go deliver this other baby and then I'll come back and I'll check on you. And if you've progressed, then we can have a conversation. But if you haven't, let's just do the C-section. So I was like, okay. So in that hour, I just got really uncomfortable and again, like a lot of pain. And I'm really glad that she gave me that hour because by the time she came back, I was ready for the C-section. It was a C-section mostly because you're out of time. Was there like a 24-hour deadline or because you're uncomfortable or because they don't think you're going to progress anymore? I think because I was reaching that 24 hour mark since my water broke. So they were concerned about that. And I also think that it was because I just wasn't progressing and dilating. And honestly, maybe it was just my physician's choice because I've talked to other friends who doctors have let them go further than the 24 hour mark of the water breaking. And ultimately they did dilate, but you know, it was what happened, I guess. How was the actual experience of the cesarean birth? You know, I wasn't prepared for it at all. So I really didn't know what to expect. You know, they have you in the operating room prepping you for surgery without your partner or husband there. So that was like kind of weird. But again, like I feel very comfortable in hospitals. I really wasn't scared at all. During the procedure, I was fine. I was like laying there. The only thing that I didn't like about the experience is that afterwards I got those hormone shakes really bad. And also all the medication, I think maybe because I was on the epidural and I had been, you know, laboring for over 24 hours at this point, you know, I was so tired and I kept like thinking, wake up, Amanda, you're having your baby. Like you're having your first child, like wake up. And I just wanted to like close my eyes and go to sleep. And so I just felt very druggy. Yeah. How was your recovery? So (laughs) that's like the other crazy thing. So after, you know, you're in labor for so long, you have the C-section you meet your child and you know, have this wonderful moment. And then they wheel you over into the postpartum area. And I was like, well, I'm tired. Like, can someone take care of her? <laughs> and they just hand you this baby and you're up all night long. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what time it was. I was trying to nurse, you know, but I was completely lost. And, you know, it's a major surgery and I just wasn't prepared for that. You know, in my head, I was going into the hospital to have a baby, not to have a surgery. And all of a sudden I felt like a patient in a real way. You know, I was having doctors come in and check my scars and, you know, putting the things on my legs to make sure that, you know, Yeah, exactly. And so I felt like I was a patient at that time. It was a real mind. Yeah, it sounds like you were so exhausted anyway, also. And that's a really rough way to start the biggest transition of your life, probably. Yeah. And the nurses were coming in. They're like, when was the last time you breastfed? And I'm like, what time is it? And they're like, it's four. And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, did you feed her? I'm like, yeah, it was just really, really a confusing time. And it was hard. How long till you felt in the groove? <laughs> a year. <laughs> oh, wow. It took a long time. Okay. No, I mean. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'm just starting to feel it now after my third. Yeah. Well, in the groove, 
I don't know. I think when I got home from the hospital and I was able to shower, I mean, not to say that I had it all down once I got home, but I felt much better once I got home and I had, you know, my mom there and the support of my husband there. And like, you know, I did not have it all figured out, but I felt much like cleaner and better and like more clear in the mind once I got home. Okay. That makes sense. I'm going to flash forward to baby number two. How long was there in between the birth of your first and second? So the girls are two years apart, pretty much exactly. Uh, That happens in our family too. Like the birthdays are all the same week, two years apart. They're two years, two weeks apart. (laughs) For your second pregnancy, it sounds like you kind of had a mixed background because you have such a medical comfort and hospital comfort, but also wanted a more natural sort of uh, self-powered birth, but then ended up going down the cascade into a cesarean birth. So with all that in your mind, how do you approach a second birth? So it's interesting. So with my husband losing his mom, he was two years old when he lost his mom and Kingsley, my daughter would be two when I'm giving birth to Keaton. And I'm also the kind of person that too much information freaks me out. So I just signed up for another C-section because I was really, really nervous about any of the risks of a VBAC or doing anything differently. Okay. So you kind of weighed the two and you felt like vaginal birth after cesarean had risks that wasn't worth it for you to take for the benefit. So you scheduled a repeat C. And how many weeks did they schedule that for? So I think they were doing 39 weeks and they actually scheduled it for my birthday. And then I was like, I don't want to do it on my birthday, which was September 6th. So then she scheduled it for September 8th. Okay. Uh, because like Labor Day was a Monday. She was like, well, I don't want to do it on Labor Day. So we'll do it on <laughs> Labor Day would have been appropriate. And what about the Emmys? So the Emmys were mid-September, so I was beyond maternity leave, so I get to skip another Emmys red carpet. Wow. Okay, so the plan is to have a repeat cesarean and at roughly 39 weeks. What happens? So, you know, with the scheduled C-section, you know, I went to work that my last day, it would be, I guess, September 7th. I went to work and I finished out all my stuff. I cleaned out my desk. I went and got my hair blown out. I went and got my nails done and, you know, and I went home and I thought I was going to wake up in the morning and go to the hospital and have a baby. And? And that didn't happen. (laughs) So in the middle of the night, probably around like two o'clock in the morning, I started getting contractions and I didn't even think what to do. It was just very natural for me to stay at home. I got in the bath. I loved being in the bath. It was very, very comfortable for me. I don't know how long I was in there for, but it felt like a long time. And then when they started progressing, you know, I got out of the bath and I was like, okay, let's go to the hospital. My mom came over because Kingsley was asleep to watch Kingsley. And me and my husband went to the hospital. Let me think of like timing here. Yeah, so it must have been around like 5 or 5.30 we checked into the hospital. Did you, first of all, is this the same doctor as Kingsley? No, we actually switched doctors. Okay, so different doctor. Did you and this doctor talk about what to do if you went into labor before your scheduled cesarean? You know, I don't remember... But I'm sure I didn't follow the rules. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, usually it's not just go in a bath and labor away in the tub. So, okay. So you got there at 5 o'clock in the morning. And the plan still is at this point to get into your schedule to see. 
Yes. So when we're at the hospital, you know, my husband and I, he's kind of speaking for me because I was really in a lot of pain at that moment and not as verbal, but they kept looking at us and saying, are you sure you want the C-section? And we're like, yes, C-section, yes, C-section. And then I was like, when can I have my epidural? And I was, you know, in a lot of pain and <laughs> it was so funny. He's like, they weren't giving me the epidural. And he's like, can you just give her a Tylenol? And I'm like, that's not going to help. <laughs> he was just trying to help. <laughs> and I think in hindsight, they were looking at me, like not knowing what kind of epidural, because they were like, well, she's clearly progressing and there's a surgical epidural and then there's, you know, not. And I think they're just waiting for my doctor to get to me to have a conversation about what the plan would be. Did they already do an examination and get data on how things were progressing? You know, I don't remember them checking me. Maybe they did, but I really don't remember where I was until they brought me into the OR and my doctor met me in there and my husband was still waiting outside and she checked me and they did give me an epidural at this point. Cause they you know which one? The surgical one. Like I oh. couldn't, you know. Okay. You couldn't feel anything shoulders down. So you're in the OR with the surgical epidural your doctor comes in and checks you and we should take a little break. We'll be right back to find out the rest of this story. <laughs> hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Amanda. She is at the very end of her second pregnancy. The first one was a planned, unmedicated hospital birth vaginally, but that turned into an unexpected cesarean. Now she is planning a repeat cesarean, and she's in the operating room with a surgical epidural and her doctor. What happens next? So she checks me, and then she comes over, and she goes, Amanda, you're going to push this baby out. And I said, I'm too scared. And I go, I'm scared I'm going to die. And she goes, I will not let you die. And I go, okay, let's do it. And then I was like, wait, get my husband in here. <laughs> oh, he wasn't even there because you were getting prepped without him, which is the dumbest rule on the planet as far as I can tell. Yep. Whoa. I mean, <laughs> shock again. I mean, it's like almost the mirror image of your first experience. Was it just that the bait you were already 10 centimeters, the baby had already come down? Yeah, I was ready. So then at that point, they brought my husband in and they said, okay, let's push. And so I had two nurses on one leg and two nurses on the other leg. And I was like, am I doing it? And they're like, no, you're not <laughs> doing it. I couldn't feel anything. And so we kind of had a scary moment where the baby's heart rate dropped. 
everyone kind of backed off and I knew something troubling was happening. So I just really like took a couple deep breaths and I was like, this baby's going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And then we mellowed out. And my doctor said, you know what? The baby's doing fine. You're doing fine. Let's get you in a real delivery room. And as soon as you start to feel stuff, I'll come back and we'll push her out. And is that what happened? That's what happened. It's funny because on the Cedars tours, they show you all these beautiful rooms with like windows of the Hollywood sign and the hills. And they basically put me in a broom closet, no windows, <laughs> but it was the most lovely experience. It was dark. It was small. It was me and my husband and my doctor and the nurse. And yeah, as soon as I started to feel stuff, I called her back and we started to push. I mean, it's so kind of interesting because the first time you didn't do anything to prepare for a cesarean birth and a lot of it took you by surprise. And the second time you didn't do anything to prepare for a vaginal birth. And it sounds like it also took you by a much nicer surprise. Yeah. And so much I'm preparing that I didn't know how to push. And so it's funny because I do Pilates. So when I was pushing, I was clenching my abs, which is wrong. And I just could feel that I was doing something wrong and that she wasn't moving. And me and my husband have a very, very loving and honest relationship. So people kind of like are shocked by this story, but I think it's very us and very funny. And I kept saying, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. It's not working. And the nurses and my doctor, you're amazing. You got this girl. And I look at my husband, he goes, you're doing it. And so at that point, I was like, Honesty. No, it really, I was like, I dialed in. And the thing that helped me is I grabbed onto the backs of my own knees and I pulled my knees up as I was pushing. And then I knew I was doing it right. And I think I did that like maybe three or four times. And then she was out. Oh, wow. So quick, too. Just before we get into the uh, next story, two other questions. One is the fear of death. I mean, is it just because of the timing that your first was two and there was a parental loss at two? I think it was the loss of his mom and him growing up without a mother and then, you know, losing my parent as well. I think that thought is always just in my head. And I think it's just a fear that, you know, him and I both have now and it's just something we think about. Okay. I mean, it makes sense, but in your mind, it sounds like it was fear of literally the VBAC giving birth vaginally after you've already had a cesarean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, and I heard of people bleeding out. I've heard of, you know, doctors not even wanting to do a VBAC or making their patients sign waivers. Again, these are all rumors that I didn't want to deep dive on the internet and check out. So maybe it's lack of education from my end, but I think for me, it's like the ignorance is bliss a little bit because I didn't want to overstress anything. And I was concerned going into the VBAC. And so my doctor said, like, if you're that stressed, like, don't do it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And my second question was, how was the recovery from that VBAC birth? Oh my God, it's not even fair how much easier it was on me. You know, I didn't feel like I was on drugs. I was able to move. I was able to pick up my baby. I was able to nurse her easier. I mean, I got out of bed and walked to the wheelchair, you know, to go over to the postpartum area. You know, it was like day and night. And I really, really enjoyed that entire experience. It was way better in my opinion. I know some people sign up for a C-section, you know, willingly, and it's just not for me. Okay. Fast forward, you're pregnant again. Yes. What's the age gap between two and three? So 
two and three is like, I think just like three and a half years. Yeah, it's three and a half years. Okay. Was it a, a deliberately longer gap? Yeah, it was a longer gap. We had one and I really enjoyed it. You know, the baby turns one, you're like, I got this. And then you get pregnant and you're like, wait, what did I just do? <laughs> that whole thing. And then, you know, two, so close in age. And I was working at the time, you know, there was a big juggling act that we had to do. And I ultimately retired from my job because I did want to have another baby. And, you know, it took a minute for me and my husband to decide that's what we wanted to do. So. Sure. That makes sense. Now, having had the experience of a surprise or unplanned cesarean with your first birth and a surprise or unplanned vaginal birth with your second birth, what goes through your mind as you're planning the third birth? So, you know, I had such a lovely VBAC that that's what we were, you know, going for, for the third. Okay. And is this the same doctor as the second? Yes. Okay. And your doctor is on board. This is a good idea. Totally. She said you had such a successful VBAC before, you know, there's no reason why I can't do it again. And, you know, she was really confident that it would be great. Okay. How does labor number three begin? So I had a beautiful pregnancy. I wasn't working at all. I was wearing sweatpants every day, you know, I was with my kids. And then March, 2020 happened. (laughs) Ah, COVID. COVID. And so we locked down. And so her due date was April 11th, 2020. Oh, wow. And so we were at lockdown. We had like eight different plans in the air for when I was going to go into labor, who was going to come, who was, you know, whatever. But again, I went into labor in the middle of the night, I think around two or three o'clock in the morning again. And we hadn't left our house in a month. Like we really locked down because I was so close um, to the end of my pregnancy and no one knew how COVID was affecting pregnant women at the time. And it was really scary. And so, you know, going to the hospital was going to be our first outing. And that was obviously really nerve wracking as well. I mean, just for perspective, this is around the time that we even got COVID tests. It was uh, just shortly after they decided, yes, we should wear masks when we go outside. And people who were getting COVID were getting really, really sick. Yes, yes. So it was a super scary time. So my husband really wanted to make sure that I was in active labor before we went to the hospital and had an exposure. And because it was my third, I was having a few nights leading up to it with the Braxton Hicks that my contractions would start and then they'd kind of fade off. But on this night, it progressed, progressed, progressed. Um, and I was like, I think we should go now. And what happens when you get there? I mean, at that time, the hospitals were so like changing their policy every day about who can come and can your partner even come and can they come right away or do they have to wait till your triage? Do they have to leave after the baby comes out? Can they come and go? What was the policy at that time? So honestly, no one knew and no one knew at the time. I mean, I was like calling my doctor, asking her and she's like, it changes every day. And I was like really looking to New York because at that time they were like a little ahead of us and they weren't allowing partners. And so I was really concerned about that. But ultimately I was just making myself super anxious and I was like, it's going to be what it's going to be. And I have no control over how the hospital is going to be or whatever. So we just kind of like let it go and let it happen. But we were definitely nervous for sure. So you Um, went together. We went together. And you were both allowed in. Kind of. 
So we pull into the parking garage and the guy, at the security let me go up because I was like in labor, you know, very actively. I was really in a lot of pain and he could tell, but he's like, I have to screen your husband. So my husband stayed down and we were not in mass at this time. People at the hospital were, but we weren't. So then I went up, my husband followed me. And then once we checked in at the labor and delivery, they said, we're going to take her in. But once she gets fully admitted, you can come back with her. But right now, Mm -hmm. just go down to the parking lot. So he went back down to the car. I went into the little room to get everything checked. And they put the heart monitors on my belly. And they checked me. I don't know how far dilated I was, but they admitted me straight away. And as soon as we got into the other room, I was like in an out-of-body you know, moment at that time, but I could just tell that the vibe in the room was not good. It was very chaotic and people were really stressed out. And finally, they explained to me that they couldn't get a heart rate on the baby. So they were going to go in vaginally and break my water and try to get a monitor on the top of her head. Okay, so not that the baby didn't have a heart rate. They just were having a hard time finding it. They weren't getting a heart rate at okay. all. That's usually a pretty panicky moment. Yes, yes. It was really okay. panicky for sure. And your husband's still not there? He's in the parking lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the, did they break your water? So they broke my water and they tried to put the monitor on her head and they still did not get a heartbeat. So, oh, wow. uh, Yeah. At that point, they were like talking to me about a C-section and I remember blood transfusion conversations. You know, it was just intuition. I knew something was wrong. I could just tell in the room that it was not a good situation. So I just called it and I go, let's do the C-section, get the baby out. Was there any like, let's get my husband up here? So as soon as I said C-section, they were like wheeling me down into the OR. And I was like, did someone call my husband? And so someone did call my husband. I was comparing stories with him in preparation to this interview because our birth stories for our two separate stories. So I was like, what happened to you? And he said that he saw the back of me in the room and then they just wheeled me out and took me into the operating room. And they didn't take him into the operating room? No, they didn't take him into the operating room. And then the last thing I remember is I'm on the OR table and they're prepping me for surgery. And I hear the doctor and it's not my doctor because this is like a true emergency. My OB was not there. It was, you know, whoever was on call. I remember her saying, I haven't had a heartbeat in three minutes, how much longer? And then I got nervous that they were just going to like cut me open without any anesthesia. So then I was like, am I getting an epidural? And they go, we're putting you under. And I just remember a lot of pressure in my neck. And then I woke up and that was it. They put me completely to sleep. Oh my goodness. So neither one of you have kind of an active memory of that birth. No. So in my husband's experience, so like he said, everyone was obviously really kind and understanding, but like no one knew where he was allowed to be. So the nurse kept saying like, come this way. Oh wait, no, you can't go here or put on this mask or you have to stay over there. And like, it was just like all these protocols that no one really knew what was going on. But I woke up in a room by myself, no husband, no baby. And there was like one nurse in there. And I said, you know, is the baby okay? And she said, yeah, the baby's fine. And then my OB came in and she was there at that time. And I was like, what happened? And she explained to me that the umbilical cord was wrapped around her 
like three times. So as she was descending, she was losing oxygen. And so that was my side of the story. And the Nick's side of the story was that he came in after the baby was delivered and saw her. And he said that the baby pinked up right away and responded really well. But the nurse looked at him and was like, your wife saves your baby's life. Oh, wow. That's intense. I mean, that whole story is very intense. And of course, once again, you plan for a vaginal birth and you ended up with a cesarean that you weren't even awake for. But you do have a healthy baby. So um, it's those moments that the cesarean is so incredible. I mean, it's the ability to do that and take out a baby that would otherwise be in tremendous distress or trouble is one of the modern marvels of maternal medicine. Okay, how was recovery from that? By the way, I don't know if, if we talked about this, but it sounds like while this was all happening, I was upstairs in the ICU. You were there. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to breathe myself <laughs> with my COVID. Oh, yeah, I think we were in the same hospital at the same time. Yeah, we must have been. So yeah, I mean, obviously the recovery was really strange because of COVID and me being put completely under. So my husband, you know, walked the baby to the nursery and she was in the nursery for a really long time while I was in the post-op area. My husband finally came in to see me. It was so funny because I looked at him and I go, are you okay? And the nurse kind of looked at me like... (laughs) why are you asking him? And I was like, well, he must've been so scared. (laughs) I was there, you know, I knew what was happening and he was in the parking lot. And so he kind of updated me on what was happening. And the nurse was really kind and let him stay for like longer than normal. So we could be together because once I went over to the postnatal section, he had to leave at that time. Oh, that's how they were doing it. Okay. Well, I have a few questions for you. First of all, in hindsight, like we sort of opened with, are there lessons that you take out of these experiences? So I thought about this for a while and I think that two things, I think that the lesson is that the birth plan idea for me obviously doesn't make any sense. And I don't know why people put so much pressure on it because I think it just only leads to disappointment. I think that if you want to make a plan, you could plan for A, but you should also plan for B and C as well and just not get disappointed because after the C-section, I had to like, it sounds really dramatic, but I had to like mourn the loss of having the birth that I didn't get. And it was really hard and it made me feel like less of a woman or, you know, I wasn't tough enough. You know, all those feelings kind of came through. In reality, I think having a C-section is tougher. (laughs) So those thoughts don't really make sense. Yeah, and it does take a lot of strength when that's not your plan. It takes a lot of strength to say, okay, if that's what I have to do for our baby's health, then I'm going to do that. It does take a lot of courage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, for me, there was times where I got really upset that that's the way that my birth happened with my first and, you know, was angry or, you know, disappointed or all those feelings. And then, you know, you kind of get over it as time passes. But in the bigger picture, I really feel like it was meant to be. It was meant for me to have that C-section have the V back. So I felt, you know, like I got the experience that I wanted because if I didn't have that first C-section, I wouldn't have made that quick decision with Quincy to do the C-section. I would have been scared to say that I would have, you know, 
hemmed and hawed or can we try this or what about this? And I think that my decision in that moment ultimately saved her life. And I think that I was meant to have that C-section in the beginning. So I was able to make that quick decision later. Wow. That is so powerful. That is really powerful. Okay. My other question is, is there plans for a number four? Not on my end. (laughs) Oh, okay. So there's some conversation. Yeah. My husband keeps saying he wants a fourth, but I think he's just in love with our girls. And, you know, after the third and going through that kind of very traumatic birth experience and, you know, obviously delivering during COVID and all that, I looked at him. I was like, I'm never doing this again. He's like, okay, but who knows? knows? You won won the first argument about having kids right away. Yeah. I don't want to say I don't want a fourth because I do get pregnant pretty easily. So (laughs) I don't want the fourth to ever listen to this. Be like, you didn't want me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as of today, that's not your plan. It's not in my plans. No, but plans can change. Okay. I just have to recap something that you said, which is the feeling that you had to mourn the loss of the birth experience that you were wanting for the first or that it made you somehow feel like you failed. That's something that I hear over and over and over again. And I think the remedy is exactly what you said, which is twofold. Number one, it's a birth intention. It's a plan A. Your birth plan, what people normally think of a birth plan is page one of a flowchart. And of course, if this happens or that happens, you can make your decision. I'd like to go this path or I'd like to go that path. Then ultimately, they all end in cesarean because if you need to, that's part of your birth plan. And if you follow your birth plan all the way down to that page, you didn't lose it. You didn't fail. You just followed your plan all the way through. And then number two is to be surrounded by people who support you and think like you and want to give you the informed choice, the ability to birth how you want to within the realm of safety. So that's a really powerful point, both for that and all of the stories that you shared so eloquently and openly. I know that this podcast is going to help a lot of people, and I thank you very much. Thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you. Same. Have a wonderful night at home. If you're wanting to get in touch with us to share a birth story or request a topic, visit us online at drberlin.com or on Instagram at drberlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. I got a whole lot of questions for you This kid's gonna test my will I got a lot to learn and my babies do (laughs) This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike Dr. Mom Butt Bomb As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. 
It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.